0: I like pure motors. You've got to do the small things right. No, I don't look at what they say, I look at what they do. And in general, if it looks too good to be true, it usually always is. How much is actually a big risk thing? I learned that through losing a lot of money. Success is actually seeing it deployed.
1: Hello and welcome to the Adapting Army podcast. Exploring and harnessing emerging technology for the land force is a story of successful failure and triumph. Over this series, I'll be speaking to the movers and shakers who are leading into the future with innovative approaches and groundbreaking technologies. In today's episode, I'm joined by Australian venture capitalist, Steve Baxter. You might know Steve as one of the investors from Shark Tank Australia, but what you might not know is that Steve started in the army working as an electronics technician, While still serving in 1994, at the age of 23, Steve launched his first startup, an internet provider from his spare room. Following the success of his first business, Steve continued to invest in a diverse range of companies, leading a successful entrepreneurial career. Recently, Steve founded Beaton's Own Venture Partners, which is dedicated to early stage investments in Australian sovereign legal defense technology. In our conversation, Steve shares his start with Army and why the savings for a home deposit were repurposed to kickstart his first business. Steve is faced with the question, what would he do as a venture capitalist if he was in control of capability investment for the Defence Force? Let's jump in. Steve, hi. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. In my introduction there, I mentioned you joined the Army at the age of 15. Let's go back to those days. What drew you to the Forces? What drew you to Army? Oh, I just had a probably an irrational desire to, to serve in the Armed Forces
0: as a, as a young kid for whatever. whatever, I, I don't recall how I exactly got that, but and I was somewhat fascinated with military technology, I suppose. Um, uh, I was exceptionally happy at school, to be honest, and, and I'm surprised the Army took me, given my scholastic results, to be quite blunt. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I was looking forward to leaving home. Um, you know, back in the days when kids used to want to leave home as opposed to want to hang around. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> our um, times have changed. Yeah. So um, look, I just had a, a real fascination with the military. I, I applied to all three services. The air force rejected me. Um, wow. Yeah, as an armaments fitter, which one of those guys who manhandles a bomb in the bottom of an aircraft? I, I didn't. I didn't meet their, their education requirements. It was a <laughs> was a blunt. The blood advice
1: I received from yes. them. Then the army took me as, a, as an electronics technician, which I found be somewhat, somewhat humorous. Yeah. So yeah. And, and so, what are some of the things that, that, that you did when you were serving?
0: Um, so I was an army apprentice, joined in 1987, um, part of the uh, mighty 42nd class of even apprentices. Shout out to so 42nd class. That's it. All those apprentices know what, know what know that, that is. Charlie yep. Company, 7th Um So you know, it was in a, it was a it was a it was a school. So we did three years at uh, at Lachford Barracks. Um, you know, it was it was five days a week. You know, sort of roughly, I suppose. You know, between eight and sort of four in the afternoon. Um, trade training. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of, you know, you did four weeks, uh, basic training to start with. I want to say I think it was four weeks, and then over the next two years, you pretty well completed your IT training in in, in little lumps. Week to here, weekend here and there, half a day here and there type thing. So you did you sort of basic training over two years. Yeah. We, we we did a third year. So our trade was electronics. That was a three year apprenticeship. Every other trade was two years. Mm-hmm. So we get to do an extra year, lucky us. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, graduated, uh, at the end of that, had the choice to go to either, uh, so I was an electronics technician. Yep. Um, so had the choice to either go to RAIMI or Signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I either wanted to go to uh, RAIMI as, as a TSG, so Technician Electronic Systems Ground, which was everything except radio, radar, and avionics. So we did everything from tank fire controls to uh, air defense systems. Uh, radiation safety. I was a radiation safety officer. That was a fabulous course I did at Lucas Heights. Yeah. Um, and, and compasses and binoculars. So you know, ninety-nine percent of the things I fixed were compasses and binoculars. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Which is exceptional. Old school compasses. Exactly. Yeah, the things that 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 should point north and, and a lot of the times don't. Yeah. Um, and then you know the things you put on your eyes to make things look bigger. <laughs> um, so there's all other instruments, so the other lights and sights and other bits and pieces optics in general. Um, mm. Which is you know, the very important instruments. Don't get me wrong, but it's thoroughly dull work. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then, um, yeah. So that was my first choice. So my second choice would have been uh, EW in the signals corps. That wasn't really a choice. You either got the choice to go to either Melbourne or,
1: or, or Brisbane uh, to the base signals regiments. Yeah. Um, so I got what I wanted, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And so apart from the actual electronic skills, what other skills did you take away from the time that you were that you served?
0: Um, you know, it's skills. I mean, you know, the army does, and it was 80s and 90s soldier, right? I believe it's a little bit, I'm an old fella now, so I can talk about how easy the young people have got it, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it gives you a, uh, it gives you, I don't know, you know, it it, it it probably gives you a lot of bad habits as well. I went into business, uh, and, and in business, um, way too many people in business, I'm not trying to over characterise here, but way too many people in business um, would and the army audience will know this, a, a jack, to be quite honest. So if you're familiar with that term, jack at all, it's, it's probably the worst thing you can be labelled as a soldier. Mm. They're, they're quite happy to, to stab in the back in a, you know, in a business sense. And, and that in the army is, you know, it only happens once and you get, get immediate reinforcement as to why you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And so going over to the business world and knowing where it was dog eat dog and the people were just sort of tricks to each other can I say that yeah yeah um, well, and so we went after each other yeah yeah so and, and in the army that happened once right and then you'd, you'd, you'd have your attitude adjusted quite quite quickly <laughs> quite quite um, you know, in a martial sense mm. so that was hard to, you know to get your head around that I suppose and, and to be able to because it does feel a bit personal when, when people sort of betray you in that, in that way to be truthful so mm. that was a bit tough but uh, what are the positive things um, you know I, I don't like being late I have this irrational fear. Yeah. I might get, I might get
1: tossed into, I might get tossed into a jail cell. Well, yeah, um, yeah. oh, I think in defence now, or army especially, if you're ten minutes early, you're ten minutes late. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you know, I came out with bad knees.
0: Many, many soldiers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't actually know. You know, I, I think it sort of, it, it definitely teaches you to um, uh, you have a bloody sense of humour. That's yeah. for sure. You've just got to be able to like when stupid stuff happens. You've just got to be right. able to like, smile, laugh at it, and, and, and roll. I suppose yeah, and, so ca- and carry on. Yeah, and carry on. I mean, I, I spent three years in a training institution. Not very many soldiers do that. Probably the, the chaps who go to Adfa are the only other ones. Mm-hmm. Who, the, well, the men, women who go to Adfa. Yep. Are the only other ones who do close to that. So, um, you know, it, it, I remember going on promotion courses, and, and um, we had you know infantry corps, and actually I was mostly in a, It was either there was two Ramey guys and six infantry chaps in our in our sub one for corporal section, hmm. and they just won the Duke of Gloucester Cup. So very good infantry soldiers. Yeah. Um, but it was just shocking me about how they they didn't know how to um, they didn't know how to they didn't know how to act in certain circumstances. So we had lots of classroom lessons. And, and as apprentices, we spent three years in classrooms and we knew exactly how far we could push the instructor's buttons before we knew, okay, he's getting serious now, we'll settle down before he gets really cranky. And those guys just wouldn't know, and they'd push him too far. <laughs> yes. Before you know it, we're doing like five hours of PT as punishment. Yeah. Like, no one wants to do that. <laughs> you guys, so, so it's, it's, it's a weird institution. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad it doesn't exist, and I'm glad it doesn't exist anymore, with the apprentices' school, to be honest, because yeah. I think recruiting 15 year olds is, as a dad now, I've got a pair of sixes and a 10. I'm just like, that horrifies me, the fact that we, that, um, I mean, your parents had to co-sign for you to join up. Yes. Um, I, I tell the story that, you know, what's worse than recruiting 15-year-olds? Signing a nine-year contract when you're 15. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, look, I think the Australian general could do with more structured trade apprenticeships, mm-hmm. and I think the military would benefit
1: from that as well. Yeah. But, you know, times have moved on, I suppose, yeah. so, yeah. So you mentioned that you started your small business of only a few years at Indie Service and you had a bag of money of, I think it was around about $11,000, which would have been quite a bag of money mm. back in those days. Uh, so tell us about the first business that you started once you opted out of the services. Well, I started while I was in. So I was in a, uh, I was posted at 16th Air Defence
0: in uh, Woodside Hills there in Adelaide. Um, I was living in um, southern Adelaide in a Marry quarter though in Flagstaff Hill, which is a lovely little suburb. Yeah. And um, we'd go on exercises a lot and um, it was, you know, you used to take books for the younger audience, books, these things that we used to make out of dead trees and we used to read. Um, but you only take so many books, you wait for like eight, nine long, so it was probably about five months, I want to say. Mm. And it's just boring, you can't take that many books to read. So I, I enrolled in part-time university doing computing. And so I'd take my university study and do that. Uh, and, and ultimately, I came across this subject, and, and I worked out that you could you know set up a computer at home and plug a whole bunch of modems in and telephone lines, and you could become an internet service provider. So I installed fourteen phone lines into my army married quarter. Um, <coughs> people asked me, "Had had that?
1: Yeah, how did you do
0: that? Had, had that, had that how did you do that?" I said, so, "Well, I knew the answer was going to be no, so I didn't bother asking. Yeah, It so was just a wasted conversation. Sure. So um and and just thought you know I I had a, a moment of clarity. I was going to a computer user group in Adelaide one evening, I can, I can even take you to the, the house this is just by memory because it was such a similar moment where I saw for the first time someone using a very early version of web browser and it was a really crappy web browser mm-hmm. but it was, it was moved from text to graphics and I just instantly knew the world was going to change I thought I've just got to get into this. Um, so I had a very clear moment and, and so I went and um, um, I had a chat with my wife and uh, my, my fiancé then if yes. you say, sorry, yep. um, would save this $11,000 for a home loan deposit and you know, the home we ended up buying was $130,000, so homes were a bit cheaper back then. Yeah. Um, and we, um, and, you know, it's fully expecting her to say, are you crazy, we're not going to risk our nest egg on this, on this idea. And, um, and she scared the hell out of me when she said, yes, I thought, oh, I've, got, I've got to do it now. <laughs> um, so, um, and then, you know, I think to, to, to start a business, you've got to thoroughly underestimate how hard it's going to be and just do it anyway. So yep. and that's pretty well what I did, I think, to
1: be honest. Um, and so just confirming then, you ran an internet service provider out of uh, army barracks <coughs> that no one knew about for quite some time. An army yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And worse
0: that, so on the last exercise I was on, so I did a month and I took a leave off month of that. So there's a 94, uh, November 94, in May 95, uh, May 95, yeah, it was going very well. So I took a leave, a month off leave of that pay and the business just, just exploded on me. It was it exploded in a good way. Mm, um, mm, and so I went back into my boss, uh, Peter Shanks, who's a great uh, OC of the uh, workshops at 16th Air Defence. Um, and if I could meet him again shake his hand, I would because he was, he was a true gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, look, boss, I've you know, told him what's going on. I'd like to get out. And I think we had seven positions for my trade at that unit. And I was the only one there. He said, "Well, see, we are their defence for Australia, and you're the only guy left to repair this stuff, type of thing, you know." <laughs> right. I thought, well, that's a reasonable argument. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But we had K- Kangaroo ninety five coming up, and said, "Look, be a good boy on Kangaroo ninety five, and on return, I'll recommend you discharge." I thought, "Well, that's a good bet. I'll take that." That's, mm-hmm. That was pretty fair. Uh, and two days into the two days into Kangaroo ninety five, he walks into my shelter. It's a big sort of equipment repair shelter. It's a big container that we used to repair the um, the, the rapiers with. Um, with a, with a signal. So he said, oh, um, was it Schema or car at the time? The, the, yeah, Schema had have, have misinter- misinterpreted my, my request and they've authorised your discharge on return. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, still gonna, are you still gonna do the right thing? I said, yeah, no, boss, I'll keep to my word, it's yes. all good. Yeah, yeah. But it was a fun exercise after that. But I, was actually, I actually had the old NEC Sports analog mobile phone. I was just sitting in a, in a fire pit doing gun, you know, gun pick night with the phone doing tech support for, for wow. mums and dads back in Adelaide when they couldn't dial up to the internet. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> That, that didn't impress very many people. No, um, no, no, no. all the little e- electronic warfare guys wandering around trying to work out where this phone
1: was and stuff. They yeah, had to hide it away. <laughs> yeah. And Steve Baxter had it. <laughs> and, and so, as you've told us that story, you've have just been uh, you've had a beaming smile the whole way through. What, what's the fondest memory of that period of life for you? In, in the military, mm-hmm. Ooh, and, and um, then starting up and the, the the first business that you started. Funders memory.
0: Um, so, uh, look, you know, it, it's, um, it, it, it's, I think starting a business. So I think when you employ your first person, it's scary as hell and, ex- and, and exciting uh, at the same time. So, um, uh, so that was, you know, that's always good. That makes you feel really good when you, you, you can employ people. Yeah, I knew we were being successful in that business when we paid a house off. That was actually, that's, that's, a, that's a really reflective moment in life and all of a sudden you're, you're somewhat debt free.
1: Was there a lesson from the very early days of business that you almost keep with you now and apply in circumcer- certain circumstances? Yeah, don't, don't trust people with money.
0: Um, don't trust people with numbers. Double-check. Um, we used to employ programmers to, because there was, no, there was no zeros, there was no... There's no software to do CRMs or help desk or ticket management. We, we wrote all that, to be honest. We had some great, great software and great programmers. Yep. would not trust them. Like literally, I could. My, my dad, who was a clerk with Queensland Rails, to, uh, forced all of us to be able to add up, like the times tables, additions of top. You know, literally, we weren't late we dessert until he could do that sort of stuff. Right. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I have a very good ability with small integer mathematics. Right. Because you sit down and present a report, and I just add at the last digit. Right. And and it didn't didn't match didn't match the number at the bottom. I'm going well, the report's wrong. So how do you, how do you know that? How did you add all those up? Well, didn't I just add the last one up? Yes, you idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean. So <laughs> you've got to do the small things right. So, um, and, and you know, young kids now. So, and I'm about math. Command of mathematics is so important because so if you can sit in a conversation, you make conversation about negotiations, It's about being that one verbal step ahead of the person yeah. that you're you're uh, counterparting with. So, and and so if you can. If they're telling you numbers and you know that they're wrong or whatever it might be, that gives you an advantage, right? If you mm-hmm. have to sit there and calculate it out, or you have to, you, you, you realize that ten seconds later you've probably lost the advantage. So, um, um, you know, n- knowing numbers, uh, you know, n- not trusting numbers people giving to you, verify, and, and then you build trust with that over time. Yep. Um, they're very small things. So, yeah. yeah.
1: I-, I love that they're talking about that. Studies have shown mm-hmm. that communication is made up of 70% of body language and no doubt it's edited very carefully but and you would have watched yourself back on the shark tank but when these people come forward and in with their numbers, and, and you can see your body language, and you can, now that you're talking about that, I'm it's all sort of magically appearing for me. You can see your mind ticking over, just going, "No way, that's that's incorrect." Your body language is screaming that. Yeah,
0: look, there's there's two things. There's there's actually getting you know your your numbers wrong because um because <clears throat> you're not very clever and don't know mathematics. Mm. And you know, do you actually trust that person with your kids' inheritance? No, yeah. you don't. Um, and then there's, you know, in a pitch, in a business pitch, and especially on Shark Tank, that's a very artificial environment. Of course. Um, and and, and um, so people are out for an outcome. So they're out for, typically on Shark Tank, they're out to get a really good ad for their business. Yes. And the channel turns out to make a really good TV show. So you've to understand everyone's incentives in that, in that equation, I suppose. So but when, when people pitch, it's, it's, a, sale, it's a sales pitch. There might be, and if they're pitching for investment, they're selling part of their business to you. No one gives you money. I hate the term give. Mm. Santa Claus gives um, hmm. Investors buy equity, for example, so yep. there's, there's a and, and if people don't have that approach to that process, that they, they, they,
1: they're not going to fare well through it. You mentioned a number of risks that you took uh, as a youngster with your bag of eleven thousand dollars and that was meant for the going to be the mortgage and all of those things. If something looks shiny, how do you identify the risk involved in the investment offers or requests?
0: Look, I'm somewhat lucky in that we see around about 250 deals a month, which you know, I have lots of staff and we, our businesses, so we get to see, uh, over the years, so I've done 112 investment rounds of 78 companies since 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you develop a real muscle memory and a reflex of understanding what, what's, what's good and bad. And In general, if it looks too good to be true, it usually always is. There's rules of thumb in business that are, that are, pretty, that are pretty stable. Um, When it comes down to to, to revenue levels and profit levels and all the rest of it, if someone's saying that we're going to have X much in revenue than this much in profit, and it looks, you just know that you know a good profit margin is like you know between five and twenty percent. So if someone's pitching you thirty or fifty or sixty percent profit, it may be true. It may be one of those sort of uh, uh, alien businesses. But see, just so over the years we've seen lots of businesses, and you get a really good um, understanding. So I learnt that through losing a lot of money, no doubt, Mm, mm, risking. Which is a big big theme for this week at Chief of Army Symposium was risk and, and as far as I'm concerned the level of risk that, that the people in the innovation sector in the army don't take, which for an organization inhabited by very by, by people who will be required to do exceptionally and do exceptionally brave things in in the real world, I think in a in a corporate sense that they, they don't they're not they're nowhere near brave enough when it comes to to innovation. I find that a little bit curious.
1: So that leads me beautifully into where I wanted to take the conversation. What do you think Army can learn from industry when it comes to calculated risk-taking? I'd start doing it.
0: I don't actually do it. I'm sorry, but risk means that you try a lot of things that don't work. They don't fail, they don't work. It's, if you do them the same way the second time, that's a fail. Right? Mm-hmm. You should learn from that mistake. You should learn from that, that, that undertaking and that, and that experiment you've just conducted. So um, they could just start risking, to be honest, because I'm sorry, but you don't, there's, there's no classical risk involved. Now, that's not a uniquely army thing, a defence force thing. Um, I, through all the years of, I've done, um, sort of helping cultivate a startup sector in Queensland and around Australia, um, I now know it's a law close to gravity that the larger the organisation, the more bureaucratic it is, the, the, the more hopeless it is in innovation. And you can't get larger and more bureaucratic than, than the defence department. Mm. Um, it, it just it, it should it should stop doing it and should just hand it to somebody else.
1: Where do you weigh up risk taking and taking actual risks against wasting public money? And this is the crux. This is why, especially government
0: organisations, you know, I, I believe they should do it. But I, I, given the way that public money is accounted for and the sensitivities of that, and uh, I, I'm a libertarian. I think we should have small government and you know less less tax and the whole thing. So mm. so. Um, I think it's, as a result, like given the sensitivities around public monies, um, that they should do less of it. But they actually probably shouldn't do it, to be honest. <clears throat> now, that's not saying we shouldn't do innovation, defence-led innovation, I'm saying we should outsource that to the private sector. What's actually happened in the non-defence tech uh, software world over the last 15 years is there's been a flood, probably thousands if not, probably close to 10,000 private investors have entered that sector. Yep. and. Taking bets on entrepreneurs and ideas and markets and everything else like that. So, so there's a, there's a larger, wider crowd out there that's actually solving problems. Uh, but it's not one person, and it's not three or four academics or a general or a brigadier, excuse me, who thinks they know how the next war is going to be fought. It, it's it's a whole series of people who are incentivized because they want to make money from these investments to go out and understand what works and what doesn't. Work, and they'll they'll fund a whole bunch of things, and the ones that don't work, they'll stop funding. And then they'll chase more money in the ones that do work. We need to be able to then, in, in, in the, in the defence context, what we need to be able to do is to encourage a whole bunch of private investors to come into the defence technology sector and start taking these bets. And the way it was done in the, in the non-defence sector um, was with tax incentives. And I can go, to them, I can spend you two hours and talk about tax incentives. <laughs> right, it's yes. a really exciting subject. Trust mm. me. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, and there's actually some very simple mechanisms in there and, and you know, I'll, be, I'll be lobbying for that to, to literally that if, if private investors want to invest in early stage defence that they will get probably super tax incentives because we have a, a looming issue. So we need to put the foot down on the gas and just go for it.
1: Okay. And, and so that's a, a wonderful idea to be talking about and you know, expanding. I'm sure that will create conversation with the people that it needs to. Are we not seeing that though in the robotic and autonomous systems implementation and coordination part of ARMY? And the wonderful displays that they had at the Chief Army Symposium. There, there are fantastic isolated little cells of of of, um, of people doing good. Robin Smith with Rico
0: is one of those. I would say that um, and Michael Burgess, Orton Air Force, Plain Jericho do a fantastic job. To be mm-hmm. honest. Um, um, oh, oh, but how much is actually how much is actually being risked there? They they, they literally go out. Not long. and Robin, if you if you're hearing this, mate, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not, this is not a direct not a direct crack at you, but how much is their risk? How much have they lost? How much are they invested in that hasn't worked? How much has fallen over? How much has hasn't gotten up off the ground? That's the real test. It's not like, oh no, everything we've funded, they've built. Well, that's great, okay. Now, does the company still work? Is it a viable thing? Have you bought it, for example? So the creation of, of, a, of a heavy thing a soldier has to carry is one thing, that's not success. Um, success is actually seeing it deployed. Mm. Um, and I think if you're only making things that the army really, really know they want now, and, and you're not trying the really off-the-wall things. Um, now, potentially, maybe, we're, we're already seeing the successes on the floor here at ARX mm. of what RICO has done, if mm. you know what I mean. That, yep. that could be it too, right? So we're looking at successor bias, right? I don't know. Um, like all good investors, we don't talk about our failures. We just talk about our successes anyway. Yeah. We just – uh, we, we, we tend to, to
1: – To be fair, though, with Colonel Smith, they do talk about successful failures, and they, they have that written into their planning, and so they – they're looking to celebrate those successful failures so that they can learn more. That's the language that they're at least talking. At least, well, where are they though? So let's actually point them out. Like great language, whatever. Let's yeah. point to the let's point to the ones
0: that didn't work. Yeah, I don't believe until I see it. Yeah. The other thing is, investor like as an investor, your job is to say, and my job is to say no. We see 250 deals a month. You're, yep. you're looking for the reason to say no. No, 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 no. they bad reasons. So you come up with a whole bunch of rules that you know that you won't invest for whatever reason. As a result, though, we just don't trust what people tell us. Yeah. Um, so you have to go and look. You, you know, I said entrepreneurs tend to puff up their pitches and they put a bit of sales talk in there. So you did, when people give you flowery words, I don't, I don't look at what they say, I look what they do. Um, it's, very, you know, it's like politicians. Look at what they do, not what they say.
1: What can army learn from a venture capitalist about acquiring capability, do you think? I don't think
0: there's much for the army to learn from a venture capitalist. So the army, you know, it needs to acquire things for soldiers sailors ammo, or the defence department Department—you know, for, for, for war fighters ultimately to, to um, do what they need to do they just need to be able to buy the things that work it, it's up to the wider defence sector in australia and this is a governmental and a policy issue to build a defence energy sector that is very robust and strong that in a very short period of time can react to the new requirements of of, of the environment and give them what they need so you know, and the next one might be I don't know a quantum-powered drone, for example. I don't, mm. I don't know what. The, I don't, no one knows what the next in, in invention of war is going to be that changes it. To be honest, yep. what we need is a really strong, robust defence technology community that can deliver in, in weeks and months, not not years and years. So um, army need to buy things that work, right? And they need a, and they need a, 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 a defence technology sector that can rapidly just give it to them. So. I don't want Army buying 10 different weapons and trying to understand what works. I think that, that's, that's, that's what VCs do, VCs invest in 10 different things and follow the one or two that work. Yeah. Um, we, we just have to present the palette of everything that they need to them in a timely manner. So for me, um, VCs can, can teach the government and the wider defence technology community
1: what to do, but not the, not, the, not the running services, those guys have a
0: mission. Yep. And, and we shouldn't
1: get in the way of that yeah and so what do you look for when analyzing the value of investment when working with defense industry what are the things that the, the positives and then the warning signs <coughs> so we uh beaten zone venture partners we're a uh a, a sovereign
0: uh, we invest in sovereign australian businesses that have a material military application in, where they increase lethality and survivability so what what we look at <coughs> In, in value is hard, so um, the defence sector is essentially hardware, uh, and hardware is well named in an investment sense. It's hard. It's hard to make a return from. It. It's hard to invest in. So, at Beaten Zone, well, I fundamentally have have the opinion that the Australian defence procurement sector is that badly broken it can't be relied on as a customer. Uh, as such, this, the businesses we invest in will have to be able to, and will have at their main market as overseas. Australia is a US. In US dollar terms, 32 billion dollar market per year. The allied addressable market, which is Five Eyes plus NATO plus Korea and Ukraine and some other allies, is a 1.2 trillion dollar market going to 1.9 trillion dollars. So we're a very small market here, and we are hopeless at buying things. Um, so I want to get the businesses we invest in. I want to get their products into the ADF's hands. No one has actually, no one's actually disagreed with me on that topic, and they all laugh at it. Okay, it's now, it's now no longer funny. We, now we're approaching existential stuff, here, guys. Okay, it's disgraceful and we should be ashamed of that. We shouldn't giggle about it. So what I'm trying to do is to show another way to do that. I'm trying to make money. Like I think the, the purest motive in the world is... I like pure motives, and mm-hmm. making money is a pretty pure motive, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I can make more money doing this, I'll, do, I'll invest in more and more and more and more so um and a part of that as well as i I believe that we can create what i call a defense investing flywheel so we can go out there we can invest in some great entrepreneurs they can build their business they become filthy stinking rich and they'll come back as the next steve baxter investor Mm -hmm. we have four or five ten people like that and we have a very robust sector so um but fundamentally um i do believe that the procurement is broken um and we are going to show a different way there's also a bigger market outside of australia in my software non-defense business we do this as well australia is this australia is small but the software is really easy to export overseas because it just it's internet it just exists everywhere if you know what i mean so yep. it, it's not you don't have the, the the physical issues around the logistics of hardware not to mention export controls and itar
1: and all that other all the other stuff that goes with it procurement is broken if you had the keys how would you fix it you've just got to change what's wrong if we, we
0: know it's wrong and what we do is, is, we, is we tinker around the sides and, and we, we bang it with a small hammer. I'm saying just take, take it with a chainsaw. That will not happen in a policy sense and a whole, for a whole bunch of reasons that would yeah, happen, right? No, no. So, so for me, what I'd do is I would, I would find a way to um, rapidly show the Defence Force how bad it is by demonstrating them how well it can be done otherwise. And that's what I'm trying to do with some degree of the beaten zone. Yeah. I'm trying to say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to back these companies doing this and we're, we're going to find this route to market here by essentially ignoring you guys. So... Um, yeah, we just we have to we have to like alcoholic. admit you you got a bloody problem to start with, right? And then and get to positively fix it, right? Mm-hmm. But just tinkering at the edges is not going to do it. And, yeah.
1: Do you Do you have an example of where you do have a, a small business and innovative business who has the product or service that you have then taken overseas and then come back in? Do you have the real examples of those? I do. How can I? How can I? What can I say here? um even um so
0: one i haven't been involved with other than as a cheerleader and an absolute supporter and this week uh not even this is going to go to air but this is like late late august isn't it Mm -hmm. in in um, 2023 so there was some fantastic news this week about a uh, melbourne-based company called cypak who had a uh dih and rico supported um uh cardboard drone that um the ukrainians used to attack an airfield in kursk and 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 basically made that company an ace because they, they destroyed six aircraft, right? And you have to destroy, destroy five to be an ace. So I figure we'll just call Cypack the ace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fantastic news. Guess who doesn't use that? The Australian, we don't use it. it, which is nuts, right? Absolutely nuts. This, 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 I don't know how much it costs. It comes flat packed on a pallet cardboard drone, takes a digger about 50 minutes to put one together, with a hot glue gun and some masking tape. And then you, know, you, you load your payload on, put your coordinates in and, and send it off. And you know, it, it, it does its job when it gets to its destination. Mm-hmm. And we don't use it in Australia here, Like I've just, it's nuts. And, and as I implored people at, that, at the, the CASG panel, when I was asked, we were asked the question about, you know, in lieu of forcing functions such as combat, how do we actually innovate fast enough? I write fast enough. I said, well, you're joking. We've got combat in Ukraine right now. We're sending them stuff. Let's go next door to the, to the com- convention floor. Buy 10 of everything that they're selling send it to Ukraine, and understand what happens next. And mm-hmm. that generated some conversation. No, no doubt. Um, so, <laughs> um, but um, just, so that, that's risk. And that, that's actually risk. What you're gonna do is you're gonna take that and you know, and, and not, not, not all we're ready, but okay, so what, what do you have to do to get your widget ready so we can send it over to these guys? And then the, then people currently fighting a mechanized ground war in Europe, and how we're doing a mechanized ground war in Europe again, I thought we were over that, um, can make the decision of if they employ it, how they employ it, and then hopefully we get the feedback about how it went. That, that's, that's, a, that's a gold oodle loop, right? That's just amazing.
1: If it was the Chief of Army sitting here instead of me for the time that we're discussing this, what would you say to him? I, I said this from the day. I, I actually want his help to go and uh, uh, lobby
0: government in order to get super tax incentives for private capital coming into the defense space. That, that sounds like a really boring thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've got no super sexy answer here. To me, that, to me, that's super sexy, but I've got a weird brain. Yep. Um, um, because what I want to do is I want to deploy private capital in. Um, so we go and we talk to all the elements of government. So, and, and, and there's, there's, there's non-defense-related structures to do this. You've just got to say, okay, if you are defense, then you get an extra bonus. You know, it, it's, So we're not inventing something new at, 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 at tax policy level and all the rest of it. We're just sort of saying, okay, so, we're not. and it's not—it's not that that the reason behind this isn't because they need more money in this space, right? It, it's good that some private capital can come in can maybe offset some public funds. I, I think the public funds should one for one any private money as well. So there's other ways you can do that, but it's you're outsourcing decision to a wider crowd. So there's an Austrian economist called F, uh, Hayek, right? Who, um, <coughs> excuse me, who talks about the information problem and about how information in, in a in a in a system is widely held by the, most of the population. And, and as a result, it's, it's, it's very hard. No one, no, no one person holds all the details. So you just outsource that to as wide a possible as you can and you get a better answer. So you'll end up funding a hundred things and you'll get five successes, right? That's, really, that's a 5% success rate, right? The current method through ASCA and others is to fund three things. The problem is you've actually got the same percentage chance of it working. Now 5% of three is not a whole number. <laughs> right, So it's going to be close to zero, right? So, um, yeah, I'd say let's just go, let's just go talk to uh, the Treasurer. Let's go talk to the Prime Minister. Miles, I'm, I'm sure they're all receptive and say we just need this. And the weird thing is, is it's not – because no one's investing in this space right now. So we actually ask them to give essentially capital gains tax-free. So if there's a win, they don't pay tax on it. Mm-hmm. And, they, and you can't even view those lost revenue because no one's investing in it right now. And they won't invest in it to do this. So no one's investing in it. So, therefore, there's, there's no revenue and there's also no – industry being created um so literally we're sort of saying hey please do this and you're no worse off <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a tough sell uh well it shouldn't be i mean they're not sure what people are making me to be honest and i can't control what they're making me it's up to them um to influence that and i you know to some degree i'm lucky in life and i actually
1: don't care yeah so okay there's a lot of innovations out there we know that what innovations are going to succeed do you think wouldn't innovation to succeed?
0: Um, I, I, you know, we, I, I don't invest in innovations, and I, and I don't invest in companies. I invest in people. Um, and I always say that you know smart young people. I like young people because they're not salt and cynical, and haven't been you know bashed up by life. And, and um, young people also tend to have personal financial runway to pursue a business. They haven't got a, you know they haven't got a partner, three kids, and a mortgage, for example. Um, and I, I like people, I like smart people with good skills that doesn't mean education but it can um but you know really good skills so you know if you want to make drones you better have pretty good drone making skills <laughs> otherwise why am i investing in you right yeah. and the smarter the person the 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 the, the better they'll approach that business because no um you know no plan no business plan so i contact the customer which is sort of an adaptive military saying um so um so a smart person will look at it and go okay this isn't working i'm, I'm not just going to keep doing this until i go bankrupt and I'll, I'll pivot change change direction whatever it might be and understand i'll build a product that's got enough or a service that has got enough telemetry loaded into it so it's let me get feedback to understand okay why isn't it working for example yeah. so you can under, you can conduct sort of small commercial experiments um so we we back we back smart young people um, um not innovations, and they find innovations. and they're they they're smart, they're young, and all that. You know, the, the consumers in the modern in in the, in the in the in the consumer sense, most of the consumers are younger people anyway. Mm. So that's why young's good. Um, yeah, smart young people.
1: From your experience and expertise in the whole area, what technologies do you see defining army in the next, let's say, fifteen to twenty years?
0: You, you cannot. You can't. Um, everyone knows that the 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 the. the, the the, the small, uh, inexpensive, fast iterate, um, unmanned aerial system drones at this point in time are being absolutely game-changing. Um, what the, what the Euro- Ukrainians have done with um, um, sea, sea drones, I don't know to call them, sea drones, underwater vehicles, whatever you mm-hmm. call them, you know, those, they've been blowing up ships and bridges and God knows what else, right? That's just off the charts. Mm-hmm. Awesome how they've deployed that technology. So look, I, I would say, if I was to generalize out there, uh, unmanned, uncrewed is is going to get a lot bigger. Um, the terrifying thing for me, um, in some degree, is the the brutal efficiency of mines. That's been absolutely demonstrated. So, beaten zone, when we sat down with it. Like we had to ask ourselves, what 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 won't we invest in? Because you know, it, it's not a pleasant, you know, this this isn't great. war's not great. But N- ever, no. since, ever since man walked out of a cave, the second thing he did was throw a rock at another man. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we said, okay, so uh, only things that the Australian military would have legal authority to deploy. So, you know, no, no obviously no, no weapons of mass destruction, for example, no gas. Yep. And then, and then, you know, I'm like, and then what about mines and cluster bombs? And I thought, you know, gee, they are really handy bits of kit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Australian military's made the decision that they, for whatever reason, <clears> But <throat> when I look at what's occurring in Ukraine right now with, with the landmines, and I heard a stat the other day that during the Cold War, the Russians produced a billion landmines. That staggers, wow. right? Yeah, they're, they're, I think it's a TM62 as well. That the horrible anti-tank thing they're using at the moment. So, but this the this effectiveness of that. So in the conflict there now, like we we might have a moral position against landmines, but the other guys don't, right? So that's that's a problem. We need to we need to get that straightened out. Mm-hmm. So the military tech there, um, and I think in some of these un- unmanned uncrewed systems can really help that out a lot. You know, with, with mine detection and 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 dis- disabling and all the rest of it. So. But uncrewed, so it's a long answer, sorry, um, uncrewed stuff is is definitely where it's going, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. You ran your pitch fest at the same yeah. time as the Chief of Army Symposium at the end of August in 2023. What did you take away from that experience? <clears throat> yeah, look, so we had uh, on the
0: Monday before um, it started on The Tuesday, we sort of hijacked the crowd. So we, we, we put a little event on there. Um, mm. uh, we had 16 pitches. Uh, it was uh, robotics and counter robotics was a was the theme. Um, um, and I really appreciate everyone who came along and pitched. And I did say this in the night, so everyone's aware of this, but, but I think your pitches were terrible. Um, the entire sector needs to, to learn a, a lot about how to present. Now, when I started doing this in Brisbane in 2011, they were just as bad. Um, so there's a, there's a pitching IQ. Now, it, 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 pitching is important for a variety of reasons, and you have to optimise. So it's all about optimising the next action. Yep. So a pitch competition is a weird thing, because that's it's more entertainment, to be honest, than anything else. It's like like
1: auctions, <coughs> like real
0: estate auctions. Yeah, no, but even that, it's it's. So I, I view pitch competitions as 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 um, activation. You're, you're trying to get activation, networking. So you're trying to get entrepreneurs in the room to talk to each other. You're trying to get investors pull investors into that into that sector and getting them talk to each other. Um, and 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 you know, there's some prizes involved usually, but. Um, it 's not the real aim of the game to be honest, but with the pitch in general you, you, what are you optimizing for what 's what's you know it might be when you pitch into a um, uh, um an an entry level deal member at VC firm you know 'll then push it up to the investment manager and then go to a partner for example so you 're trying to optimize for a meeting with the investment manager or the partner so that 's what you 're not trying to get an investment straight away you don 't want to sound desperate because no one invests in desperate people that's mm-hmm. just, so uh you might be pitching you know you, your pitch for investment is probably. 70% identical to, to, to your pitch for to a customer, to a potential customer. So are you pitching a customer? Are you pitching a staff member you really want to get? So you've got you've got to pick this up because that, that's the foot in the door, if you know what I mean. So um, so, so know,
1: know your audience? Know
0: your audience, yeah, and, and honestly do better. Like if you've just got to go to the, the – like Americans are born with a pitch deck in their hands. They can pitch so goddamn well. Yeah. So actually the one good pitch was actually from from Joni uh, and um, – uh, her business was a. Uh, she's an American, essentially. So, um, so that was probably the, the one, the one decent one. Um, so yeah. So before we do it again, we're gonna, we're going to run some pitch training, and we're just going to try and increase that capability
1: of the industry to uh, interface with investors at that level. I have a blank sheet of paper here. What's the first line of my pitch at pitch training? Oh, state your problem. What problem are you fixing?
0: I walked that floor the other day and I said, what are you doing? He so, said, we're doing AI. I said, no one does AI. Come on now, what are you doing? Oh, you know, and so um, people, don't, people don't buy um, salute, people buy solutions to problems. They yeah. don't buy widgets or technology or the rest of it. Yeah. They, what problem are they trying to fix? So the best pitch I heard, I invest in this business, and um, uh, you, you might not we'll get rid of the bleeps of this one next, but no. um, it was a prostate cancer detection business, and, and they were doing ML, machine learning slash AI, six seven years ago unfortunately they went they went uh we had to extract that business down the last couple of years before the ai thing took off we just missed that wave yep. so timing's very important in business that's, that's a lesson yes, there indeed. but um matt brown when he got the picture this at, at this event he got up there and he just said cancer and everyone all of a sudden looked out right. So that's a that's your figurative slap in the face. Yep. Open with impact. Yeah. Open impact, and then you know then get into the pitch right. And so this is the problem. This is you know uh, you know so you look at, at problem solution market size team. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, there's probably some fixed things in a pitch, but you know you've got to, especially if you like, I, I we our business sees 250 pitches a month. How the hell do you stand out in that? that mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So you've yep. got to you've got to. Wake up the person you're talking to.
1: Yeah. And so finally, what would be your last word to Army and the decision-makers in Army who are looking to invest in defence industry? Um, well, actually, do it. Buy, buy stuff from them. They're not, they're not doing that. Hence why I said before,
0: the easiest way to get it is to sell it overseas and come back here. Um, actually buy – and, you know – don't buy things from a US Prime. We talk about Australian industry content and this sort of stuff, and you know they'll bring something in from America as a trailer, and an Australian business will get to paint the hubcaps, and I think that's Australian industry content, right? And I'm sorry, that's not that's Australian industry content. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as of this date, I'm of the belief, I understand that that well, you know, the Defence Force does not buy the the CIPAC PPDs, the thing that's doing all this damage in Ukraine, for example. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not buying any of the artillery shells that are being made by uh, Nya Romatol out of the Meribara factory. Mm. If I find that staggering. Mm. Um, actually buy stuff from defense, uh Actually buy stuff from industry. Um, you're not very good at it. You're not doing it often. You're not very good at it.
1: That's how we're going to finish, Steve Baxter. Thank you so much for your very frank and honest insights. It's been an honour speaking to you. No worries. You reckon i will get invited back next year? After all that, or <laughs> I'm writing the invitation now for you. <laughs> No, thanks very
0: much. I appreciate your time.